The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. to another fine and fierce week on the Brandon Peters Show. On today's episode, we are discussing the 1993 Robert Townsend film, The Meteor Man. Joining me for the discussion, I'd like to give a warm welcome to the host of a Nightmare on Fierce Street podcast, Sheree Bohannon. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Brandon. <laughs> Woo, all right. Well, hey, I'm very excited to have you. Uh, let's get to know you a bit for my listeners and stuff before hopping into Meteor Man. So you have a horror podcast. I tend to have horror people on my show a lot because that's my wheelhouse as well. And you have A Nightmare on Fear Street, which just began like August of last year. Yeah. So like our we... shows are about the same age. Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah, in September. Yeah. <laughs> in September. I love that. We were late August, so like, does it even count? Like we were like the last week. Okay. So was- okay. Well, that was my my original launch date was supposed to be uh, the after Labor Day, but then I pushed towards the end of September. But well, we're within a month of each other. That's all that matters. Yeah. No, like we we started it thinking eight friends would listen because you have those eight that are always like, I'm gonna care. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out a lot of our friends were like, I also like the genre, and we never talked about that. And I also like your hot takes and listening to you drink. And I was like, mm-hmm. well then. And then those friends told friends and now we're international and that's just weird and wild that people are listening to us have our rants and disputes because we can't agree on a movie to save our souls. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so like, how did it just start up with like you and your co-host? Like, Let's do a podcast or is this in the works <laughs> yeah. for a while? Like I had a podcast, one of my shows, it was a year before it got recorded, a lot of planning and stuff, but. Oh yeah, no, we were precious fool babies. Like my friend and I met in undergrad many, many moons ago. And we would like just get drunk and watch horror movies when we weren't like studying or doing rehearsals and all that because we were theater kids. And so when the pandemic hit and I moved here to Indiana where I know no one (laughs) um, for the most part, I was like spending a lot of time talking to him about horror movies because like we're both stuck at home and we're not creating because we do theater and that's not really happening Mm -hmm. live. So it's a different situation. So we were like, what if we stopped talking about our horror movies and drinking silently? And what if we started recording them? And so we had like a little meeting and we like picked our name and we talked about what we think we're going to do, which is never the case because you got to change it. As soon as you start recording, you're like, oh no, this doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> it evolves too. It's always like yeah. when people like, when you check out a new podcast, you should probably go to a recent one yeah. and then go back. Our format changed because we started like late August. Mm-hmm. And then like when you come back for us and for Scream, which I think was our November show, different format because we were like why are we recapping we don't need to recap people know these movies right stop that (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah it's like abrupt and then like it's just like 
people who listen to him in order will catch that. People who pop around will be like, what am I listening to? What happened? What changed? And they're mm-hmm. welcome. <laughs> but yeah, we we started doing it. We met up the next weekend after we had a little meeting to talk about things that we thought were going to happen. Mm-hmm. And like a friend like drew us our first logo. <laughs> and we were just like, let's record it. And then we recorded it and it felt fun and fine. And so, of course, the next day, my friend was like, I edited the episode. Should we just go ahead and start today? And we were like, okay. <laughs> and that first season was rough because we were always yeah. like recording and having to turn around and put it up. And that's why we took a pause to be like, let us learn from those baby mistakes. Mm-hmm. Let us <laughs> let us start recording ahead of schedule. So that way we're not like, oh, no, our guests fell through. What are we going to do tomorrow? What? Right. <laughs> yeah. Live and learn. Live and learn. But also podcasting is fun. Um, and it can cost zero dollars if you're not like super. I need it to be pretty and gorgeous, mm-hmm. which we're not. I get it out there. That's one thing I tell people with the podcast indie group that I co-manage and stuff is like, what can be important? We can talk about equipment all you want, but get it done first. As long as you commit to improving, just get it out there. Because you could sit and then never get anything out, just building and building and preparing and preparing and then nothing yeah. happens. Exactly. Like I, the content is more important. That's what people are really there for because our first episodes are a little bit rough because we didn't have mics back then. We didn't get mics until we were well on our way because a friend was like, sometimes you get drunk and roll away from the computer and I can't hear you. <laughs> Could I buy you both mics? And I was oh. like, I will not stop you. And so <laughs> that's when like our production quality. Went up you got a like bit. a podcast sugar daddy right away. There. Oh, right. I was yeah. like, oh my God. Yay. But also fun to the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, like just, I feel like technology is also just so smart. Like mm-hmm. Anchor is right there and you can just like record that on your little iPhone, which has a really cool Mac. I, yeah. I'm i an Android girl, but I have to admit that Anchor, I mean, that iPhones do a lot of things. There you go. Do you have any, do you have any like favorite episodes of your show so far that you'd be like, oh, you gotta, this is the one where I just felt like it was awesome after the feedback was great. I have a couple. If we're going off of new stuff with the new format, people who hate recaps, which I respect, mm-hmm. Tells from the Hood, which was one of our February ah, episodes. Yeah. Amazing, amazing episode. Like, it's one of the ones where people gave us compliments and I wasn't awkward about it because, like, okay. as an artist, it's just hard to take a compliment because then you're one of those weirdos. <laughs> and so you're like, no, but this is wrong with it. <laughs> but for that one, I was like, it is good. Thank you. I have to go think about this because I did something right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. From our first season, Stanley Kubrick was an asshole, which is everything you need to know in the title. But like, it is a very long episode and we do recap it. And I am sorry, but it's, it's one of the things I think I'm proudest of. There you go. Gotta have that. Yeah. Sometimes you have those ones that you feel really good about and then nothing. And then sometimes it all comes together. And then sometimes the trashy ones they liked, they're like, oh. We've had so many movies that are quality. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going have a conversation about this one. If people are like crickets. And then you do something like Body Snatchers in a Bathtub 5, Buckets of Blood. And people are like, oh, my God. And I'm like, are you serious? Like- uh, and also, they're like, oh, these are my people. I never get podcasts that talk about this. So that's that's part of, you know, hey, we're talking about the Meteor Man today. How many podcasts are talking about the Meteor Man? So many should. I won't even, I'm going to say it, but so many should. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Where would you like to see a Nightmare of Fear Street go from here? Any kind of changes you'd like to see or like areas you want to tackle or big projects set ahead for it? Uh, Right now, I want to keep 
I want to keep expanding our guest pool because we started out with just like friends of ours. And then we started bringing in random fans. We were meeting on Twitter and Instagram and we're bringing in like filmmakers. And so I just want to keep growing that pool because there's always more voices that are left out. Mm-hmm. And our podcast is about intersectional <laughs> lenses um, looking at horror because a lot of us are left out. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we can always do better. And so making those connections and making sure people know that they're wanted and we're serious is something we need to keep doing until we yeah. get there. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. And like any artist that isn't rolling in the millions, um, you're you got your hand in a lot of things beyond horror and beyond the podcast. You're a playwright, yes, which <laughs> pretty exciting. A produced one. They've had stuff overseas in like London. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my baby. I sent a ten minute about a puppet and a bad <laughs> first date on an app, and mm-hmm. London was like, "We love this. It's on our scratch night." And I was like, "London, are you my people?" Uh, <laughs> I didn't get to go. In hindsight, I wish I pushed harder and found funding and time to go because mm-hmm. who knows when I'll get to travel internationally again. But that that's one of my favorite things to ever happened on my resume. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's impressive. And I have to ask about this Punching Laboot Festival. Oh, yes. Is that um, after Neil Laboot? Yes. Neil Laboot um, inspired that. We... So I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups and some woman somewhere was like, I'm thinking of trying out my monologues audition with. I've been using Neil LeBute and some other person who's problematic. Mm-hmm. And we nobody commented because we didn't know what to say or do. <laughs> and, and so like, I love Facebook because I didn't want to like shame her. But I was mm-hmm. like on Twitter, I'm like, why are we still using Neil LeBute when he does not like women? Examples, all of his work. And so, like, um, me and some other playwrights talked about it, and one of them, who I don't know if she wants me to name her name, but she's a dear friend of mine, mm-hmm. was like, I just, I don't want to talk about Neil Labute anymore unless we're punching him. And I was like, ha, 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 punching Labute should be a festival. Ha, ha, ha. I don't have to take a joke. I have to always make something, don't I? And I was like, yeah. And so <laughs> we we got to do it once before COVID shut us down um, in mm-hmm. year two. And what it is, is a bunch of films coming together to create work that we put up usually in a found space or someone like loans us a space to do it. And we raise money for different charities <laughs> focused on helping women. We did a, I want to say we did a battered women's shelter. Okay. The last time, I said the last time, like we did it more than once. We were going to do it twice and then COVID. And it was like really good to raise money because people care. Even though we're all poor starving artists, they care. Right. And so they're like, I want to be a part of this because Back then, we didn't put out a call for scripts for the first year. We, I just like put it on my social media, and my co-producer put it on her social media, and we had all these like badass playwrights who were like, "Here is my work. <laughs> Let me know if you would like another." And I was like, oh, "Yes." <laughs> and so it was, a, yeah. right? It was the festival of my dreams, and like I was like, "So I don't want to hear when other people tell me they can't find women playwrights to do things because so many flocked to this cause." And so many flocked this next year when we like put out an actual call for scripts. We had so many playwrights who I love and admire and we'd whittled it down. And then it was like, we can't produce anything live this year. That's irresponsible. Even if we could. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, (laughs) so that caught my eye when I saw it and I hope I was like, I hope this is like a negative thing. The punching Labute because uh, that man, he had a, he had a good run. Well, people liking him, but I, so I grew, I mentioned it off air. I told you I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He shot his breakout film in the company of men up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So I lived up there during that. He lived in Fort Wayne after that for a bit. So multiple things. My friend worked at Blockbuster Video at the time and he would come in to rent 
and he'd be uh he'd be like i need a blockbuster card he goes he'd be like Uh, he's like blockbuster card and he's like i i think you know which account this is he's like i i don't care i need your blockbuster card it's got a scanning thing on the back that i can scan and pull up your account mr laboot and he's like fine and get all mad and then there was a day where he wasn't on the cover but he was in like a like picture of entertainment weekly like if you open up inside and they had those like always people standing around and like premieres things he was in one of them and he stood by the magazine rack just like walking around waiting for people to open it up and stuff he's like my friend's like it was the most pathetic thing i've ever seen like his twitter account and like we don't know 100 uh-huh. certain he runs it because it's part of his whatever his sci-fi show is i've already got the name of i, I quit i put pay attention to no I, he I was shocked he had a show because like we were using the hashtag punching labute and uh-huh. his five fans found us all five uh-huh. of them. And they were like, how dare you? Why are you lying about him? It's like, nobody said anything about him. So there's a festival called punching labute. Where is the mm. lie? Also, what is this show you're talking about? Yeah. And so he started liking it from that account or the person who runs that account, but okay. we're pretty sure it's his <laughs> or was it the time. Gotcha. Well, he also, so I did a commercial for a thing called the stop the madness campaign and it was directed by produced by Mark Archer, who produced in the Company of Men with mm. for Neil Boot. And I also went to a seminar Mark Archer spoke at, and everybody who had, was working on the commercial had pretty much worked on in the Company of Men. Him and Aaron Eckhart, none of them had anything positive to say about either of those. And like Laboot really pushed. Like Mark Archer spent so much credit card debt insurance money off a car accident and everything on in the company men and he said there was a lot of it i could have saved had an ability like neil laboot not been a complete dick and pushed stuff and there was an eckhart cost him a lot of money because that guy is a was apparently a prima donna who he would tell you when he got the take he wanted Mm. they'd be like oh we got it like i want like three more and they're using film and that's expensive and that's a super and this is back when independent movies were independent movies they didn't have celebrities in them and yeah. cost millions and so they had a problem they know none of those people ever worked with the other boot again they made another film all together called american real with david carradine not realizing what a drunk carradine was at the yeah. time this is pre-kill bill but uh, yeah neil the boot not i'm happy to see it titled punchy Louie. and i've yeah. bad things have come funny thing is my favorite film of his is the wicker man because it's hilarious <laughs> It's so bad. I love it. <laughs> it is so good. It's, it's mainly the, Cage, but uh, you know, Nick Nick Cage. Like literally, I he is he is an experience. He is <laughs> he is an he, event. He's aware of every film he's in. That's what I love about him, and he commits. It like he will find like, oh, is this a goofy thing? All right, well, guess who's here? And then he'll be like, oh, this okay. We got a good drama here. Boom! There's the Oscar winner again. Like, that's the reason the community episode asking if Nicolas Cage is good or bad lands yeah. so well, because we really don't know. It's just chaotic because he'll give you Raisin Arizona and you're like, this is hysterical. Mm-hmm. And then he'll give you like most of the things he did right after. And then he'll give you something great. And you're like, you can, you can do the things. Right. I, I don't understand. I, I love that he can turn it on and off. And I love being like, is this the one I come back for? And people being like, no. And I'm like, thank you. 
<laughs> or they're like, yes, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like every, I think like now, since he does so many movies all the time, low budget, like I, I think the average is like every five to six, you get that one, like, oh, shoot, he really can still do that. Like he, he had that movie, like Joe, many years ago that was really oh, yeah. good. And yeah. So I've always, yeah, always been a Cage fan. That's mainly why I enjoy not the Neil Labute excellence of remaking <laughs> The Wicker Man, but. Uh, Leland, like lastly, uh, you're also a pop culture critic too. We all write, we all yes. write about things we like and give our opinions. But where whereabouts have you had your work displayed? Oh yeah, um, I did a really cool article for the Every Girl where they let me talk about shrill and being fat in America, and it ended up being one of my favorite things I've ever written. Mm. I have also written for Book and Film Club, which I no longer write for. And like, I have a couple of pitches out and about with a couple of horror magazines. And I used to review plays back when we were going places in Chicago. So, so you can find me at like Picture This Post and you can find me at like Scoppy Magazine and those sort of like boutique places. at a time. Media man. Sorry, Mike. Robert Townsend, Marla Gibbs, Eddie Griffin, Robert Guillaume, James Earl Jones, Bill Cosby, and another bad creation. Special appearances by Luther Vandross, Sinbad, Naughty by Nature, Cypress Hill, and Big Daddy Kane. Stay chilly. Peace them out. Chilly. Robert Townsend is... Have a good night, folks. Meteor Man, directed by Robert Townsend. The Meteor Man, written and directed by and starring Robert Townsend. It also stars... And here comes the long list of Maria Gibbs, Eddie Griffin, Robert Gillum, James Earl Jones, Roy Fagan, Don Cheadle, Bill Cosby, Big Daddy Kane, Frank Gorshin, Sinbad, Nancy Wilson, Luther Vandross, Another Bad Creation, Naughty by Nature, Cypress Hill, Tiny Lister, <clears throat> Leela Rochon, John Witherspoon, and Biz Marquis. Like, I I made a note. I was telling my friend Aaron Newarth. I'm like, so if you were available in 1993, you were in this movie. Um, yeah. It's yeah. about a high school teacher from a troubled inner city Washington D.C. neighborhood who becomes a super powered hero and takes on the gang that has been terrorizing his streets. So Sheree, what I do with the show is I like to hear why this movie was one you wanted to bring to the show. We had a list. Yes. That one just struck me. It was at the top of the list but it struck me right away. So yeah, when I was a kid in the nineties, because I was definitely a 90s baby, I remember the daycare that my mother worked at and I basically lived at when she worked there and when she didn't work there, we wouldn't go, but it was a whole thing. We found it at a $2 theater. And so it was like a group oh. field trip. So the whole daycare went awesome. because in the nineties, you did not get a lot of happy black people in media. And I mean, to be fair, you still don't, but like, <laughs> it was like, we have to like go and support this, grab all of the children, everybody get their parents, give them the like forms and $2. Mm-hmm. And so we just rode out in all these like multiple vans 
And I remember going and I remember being like, what is this? Is Robert Townsend a superhero? Oh my God. And (laughs) it just sort of stuck with me in a way that I think a lot of kids take to like things that were actually geared towards them, like Barney and whatever. I don't know. I was never a real kid, but (laughs) (laughs) it was like my little thing. And so like, for the couple of years I was on HBO later on, I would like watch it and it would be like random HBO, not like mm-hmm. HBO, but like HBO, blah, 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 or HBO, blah, 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 three hours later. And then it just went away. And yeah. so <laughs> I had not seen it since I was maybe 10, maybe 11, uh-huh. but it stuck with me because again, you don't get that many portrayals of like, just like happy black people doing things that are right, especially from the nineties. There are so many stereotypes. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, I was just talking with Scott Madison. He, he's the week before your episode talking about last night. We we're like, oh, we've had this thing where it's like the night, the, the night, though you got, you got Meteor Man, which he's a happy superhero, but you also, yeah. you also got Steel with Shaq. Yeah. You got Spawn and you got yeah. Blade. And, yeah. and it felt like in the nineties, I, I said like one of the things was, there seemed to be a lot of opportunities for like black filmmakers, but like there were black movies back then, but the problem was getting the white audiences to go and appreciate and see the white, the black. And then somehow it became tentpole city and we went backwards in terms of those opportunities, but it was on like a good track in the nineties. And then all of a sudden when X-Men Spider-Man pick up and like pirates and all that stuff, all of a sudden we went, we regressed horribly with that because in the 90s you had like john singleton doing things you always had there 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 were black movies but they didn't push white people to go to them or there wasn't a voice to respect them so with meteor man i was excited to revisit i think i saw this in the 90s i remember the poster and i i probably picked i like superhero stuff uh robert townsend made hollywood shuffle it's a really cool movie to check out as well but i'm like this movie got poorly reviewed. It did poor box office. But my thing was, as with all like movies like this, like it was a black superhero movie comedy coming out in a time with dominantly white film critic writers. So was it correctly mm-hmm. assessed? Was it correctly advertised or advertised enough to get people so... Yeah. Because I think this is a pretty good, damn good movie. Like, I haven't seen much worse superhero movies so I, I have seen them constantly because I'm a nerd. And so I'm always like, let me go try it, even though I don't want to. Yeah. I feel like the abominations DC have been turning out much worse than this. If you have <laughs> like, like if you have critics, if you have like half black critics, half white critics evenly, how does the reviews fare? How does the, the rotten tomato meter look yeah. now? Like, is it, I, I think it would bump up or if we had the, kind of the cultural we're not perfect as a culture now but we much more like as like white people will go see these or respect these or give things a a shot more than back then it depends on the movie mm -hmm. and who's in it because we still have actors today who are famous with black people Mm -hmm. and then like my white friend's like who is this i'm like this person's been acting for 25 (laughs) years you don't know her <laughs> what? right and it's like i might have seen her once and i was like but how you you live for the genre she's in you should know her more than i do because i don't even watch that genre and i just i i feel like part of it is because society is always saying negative things about the black films like this again was poorly reviewed mm-hmm. but it also wasn't given money and i right i'm 
I know for a fact for Hollywood Shuffle, Robert Townsend had to like empty out his like bank accounts and things for that. Because I saw a documentary and he talked about it. Mm-hmm. And I, as a kid, loved Hollywood Shuffle. I loved mm-hmm. anything Robert Townsend did as a kid because yeah. he was always uplifting Black people, which, I mean, you had like the Wayans and that whole dynasty. I <laughs> Let's be fair. It's a dynasty right. at this point. There's like different generations. I can't keep track anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You had them and you had Robert Townsend. And then you had a bunch of serious movies that were like rated R and there's going to be like a lot of drug use and whatnot. And so like you couldn't even access that as a kid on right. purpose. But when your parents were asleep, you would. I'm just like, oh, another crackhead. Cool. <laughs> oh, oh, another sex worker. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Townsend. Like he's a guy like just the best thing that probably happened to him was like what them picking Eddie Murphy over him for Saturday Night Live because he gets to go and create his own path. And Murphy doesn't forget, like he directs Raw, which is one of the best yeah. stand-up shows, period. And then, you know, he's Hollywood Shuffle, the heart, five heartbeats showing just like yeah. range. And then I get, he doesn't disappear after the 90s, but the, uh, he did. More producing. Yeah, he's more producing. He did Black Lightning recently, a couple episodes of that show, starring, directing. Um, but he carved his, he carved a nice own, yeah. interesting filmmaker path. And I mean, it's yeah. not like like you know Spike Lee kind of like had a similar thing with like Woody Allen and like Singleton made his own thing. Townsend has his own thing that goes through here, 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 yeah. here, here, and I love that. Yeah, he does not get nearly enough respect because again, like you have this cluster of filmmakers who are actual. Black filmmakers in the 90s when it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I can't yeah. even begin to imagine. I'm watching the documentaries and I'm like reading the accounts, but like I know what it's like today to be a Black artist. So I can't mm-hmm. even fathom. <laughs> I, I, yeah. And you have him like funding this and like sticking true to like his ideas and his theories and like giving you this like assortment of black people who i mean james earl jones alone probably cost more than the movie was worth let's be honest but <laughs> james earl jones a guy who probably would take a cut to get help get this made and i'm sure him and a lot of the actors did even sinbad is just randomly here and you're yeah. just like and i feel like it's a testament to robert townsend because these people want to be in whatever the messages he has and they want to be near him a lot of them haven't taken off at this point too so he's launching and he ha- yeah. he knows the talent he knows uh, that's baby don cheetle yeah. i forgot baby don cheetle was in here with his like golden fro and i was like oh my god <laughs> i just he, I again, I hadn't seen this movie. And what's he aged like physically five years since then? Like, he, he's getting younger. I don't understand. <laughs> I think he did get hit by a meteor, and we haven't talked about that. Yeah, you have all of these people, and they go on to do amazing things. And I mean, unfortunately, a lot of them are no longer with us, mm-hmm. which I hate because I feel like this movie does deserve a resurgence. I know that Bill Cosby is here, which I forgot about. So when that- he appeared, I was like, ugh. <laughs> and I'm like, that might be part of the reason it's not streaming anywhere. Because I've been a very vocal advocate about this movie needs to be on Netflix or HBO mm-hmm. or something, just because it's again. There's, there's a Blu-ray out there from Olive Films, so it did make the jump to high definition. I had to order that because again, I have not seen this movie since I was a kid because it disappeared. And so when you were like, mm-hmm. from your list, I want to do this. I'm like, I have a reason to try down this Blu-ray. <laughs> So that is what's in my like PS3 right now. Yeah, awesome. um, because I'm old school. <laughs> That's a, I, I'm a, I, yeah, I'm all physical media all the way. Um, I do use digital folks. I do use yeah. the digital, but yeah, I, it's nice. I wish we would have had some bonus features or, you know, an interview, but all the films, they, they don't, 
typically do those a lot. To Um, be fair, they probably were given the opportunity to have bonus features and things because they barely had funding to make the movie. So I doubt they were like, also, let's get a director's commentary. Yeah. Which I would start a Kickstarter for tonight. Robert Townsend has a Twitter. If somebody wants to help me get him on track to do that, I will start the Kickstarter. I will do all the work. I want it. There we go. There we go. Yes. There start it now. And yeah, he he created this hero out of not there was a comic book after. Yeah. But this is this is his own his own creation and that's people weren't afraid to do that around in the 90s either. It didn't have to be it was a superhero. Yeah. Doesn't matter now. Was it based on nothing? Yeah. I especially love that because, again, we have so few Black superheroes compared to everything else that happens. Mm-hmm. Because, again, you have Blade, you have Black Panther, you have um, Spawn, you have mm-hmm. Blank Man, which also doesn't get discussed. That comes not- out a year later, yeah. It's yeah. kind of funny, which is another funny little movie. I love which David Allen Greer. I- and yeah. Yeah, David Allen Greer was everywhere in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I, I have not seen Blake since I was a child either, but I remember finding it super endearing because his costume was so homemade. Yes. And I was like, he's definitely from my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I see him and I want him to succeed. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. The superhero movies of the time when this came out that this would have been riffing on or anything like that or you would have had to compare it was just the Superman films, the Donner ones from the 80s. Those were already done with with two Batman movies, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and like The Rocketeer. So this really kind of like it plays with like Superman mythos type things, but really its own thing and a riff just on a superhero thing. Like I love that his powers are just kind of whatever things. Yeah. Never they, really explain, but they, they were so pure. His powers yeah. were so pure. Like talking to his dog, absorbing a book by touch, and him having the ability to fly, but being afraid to fly, that is just so adorable. I want to put the superhero in my pocket and protect him from the world because he's too precious. (laughs) He's too pure. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I'll tell you the one thing that I think this movie is golden and I love about it uh, that when I I watched and it just felt was... it feels like it comes from a place of like earnestness. It's very genuine. And rather than like the entire world, like a superhero has to today, it's interested in Jefferson Reed's world. And there about comes the the stakes and what's important to him and and being in danger and the world he has to save is his like neighborhood and his character. It is, has powers of bigger, like, scale things like this is big and personal and feels heavier than if it was some maniacal guy trying to blow up the world like he's got his neighborhood to protect that's just important to him there are comic-y villains in that gang but i don't know just the way it feels just like honest and like this is what this guy this guy wouldn't just have to go fight some evil guy from outer space or whatever and he no. his things are very human what he wants to improve and help and where he's at like he never forgets he's jefferson reed which i love literally he is the same person consistently and that i agree that's one of the things that makes this character compelling compelling mm-hmm. because oftentimes superheroes get their superpowers and it's like oh no i'm different i have to like showboat for a second mm-hmm. and he's like no i'm still here for my community i need to make yeah. sure so-and-so is getting their meds so-and-so is getting their groceries the kids are getting to school and i 
one of the like moments of actual violence in this movie where they show up to shoot at him and he's like mm. catching all of the bullets. And I was like, I, as a kid, I appreciate that this is like <laughs> a symbol of what he's been doing the whole movie, trying to protect right. everybody, take everybody but himself. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love that moment because now that I am an older supposed adult, I'm like, Oh yeah, no symbolism. Right. <laughs> Whatever my head as a kid, I was like, he's caught him on. Yeah. But yeah. I'm like, Oh no, he's, He's putting himself out there limb for limb. And they're, as a community, they were sort of kind of okay with him and supporting him, but still sort of using him mm-hmm. until that turn when it's like, oh, wait, we turned our back on him and he's not, he's getting his ass yeah. kicked. Maybe he lives long enough to see himself become a villain or they're done with him or taken advantage of that he's just going to be there. But that, that scene where he stands up for himself, very powerful for like a comedy movie and just watching him just get pounded and stuff it turns into an oh big overdone fight in the end but for that moment it's really strong and emotional and not not the kind of like things that i felt would be tugging at me when watching the meteor band right and again it's another testament to robert townsend he mm-hmm. he understands humor and heart in a way that a lot of us yes. just don't get he's on a different level and so he's able to like make you laugh but also like gonna go outside and get beat up real quick (laughs) and so you're like oh no somebody help him (laughs) and like poor eddie griffin who also was like 12 in this movie i don't understand time (laughs) because all these comics are people who i i've always known were like older than me but as a kid seeing this i didn't realize like they weren't like 40 they were like 20 something right yeah (laughs) Yeah, they always feel older, even though when you're watching a movie where they're younger than you now, you still feel they're older. And it, this is Eddie Griffin before he like was allowed to be himself. Because I'm like, that is not that, that's Eddie Griffin, but that's that that's not how he dresses. That is not how he. Be- it was very tamed, Eddie Griffin. This is while Eddie still Griffin being Eddie the, Griffin. This is Eddie Griffin at the job interview. This right. is not Eddie Griffin after he got the job. <laughs> this is, yeah, that's great. Yes. He's like, I would like to work here. <laughs> I will always say I was I, I saw I, I saw like I saw Foolish in the theater, Eddie Griffin. I was there. I saw it. I was one of like eight, but I was there in the theater when that came out. I kind of want to check in on him because I've not seen him in a while. But right. he was everywhere for a minute and he even had a show with Malcolm Jamal Warner on mm-hmm. UPN before UPN became CW. Gotcha. Yeah, they so, tried yeah. to make him a thing. I know, like, Master P launched him a bit. Like, Master yeah. P got on there, and then he got Undercover Brother, and then, yeah. boop. Yeah. I guess, didn't hit like they wanted, and you move on to the next thing, you know, like that. Yeah, which is sad. But, like, a lot of the a lot of the people in this movie, I have not seen them in a while, and that makes me right. sad. And because of all of this pandemic, I do kind of want to check in on them. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be like, are they okay? Go their like, IMDb. Okay, working. Yeah. Okay. What is their next project? I'm gonna yes. go and support it if I, it's safe to go to theater. But <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, I mean, I just uh, we, before the episode for this, we did uh, Tomb Raider: Cradle of Life, and Yon DeBont, that direct hasn't worked since. Well, he's done like a couple little things, but he's never direct. Yeah. He hasn't directed. He hasn't shot. He was a cinematographer. It's shy thing. I think he's got a producer name on a couple things, like recently, yeah. but just gone. I'm like, guy was talented. I know he had three bombs in a row, but you know, hey, <laughs> a lot of people have three bombs in a row and they keep working. And so, right, yeah, serious. yeah. There's a lot of failing upward. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, I, it's always very telling because I'm just like, okay, I see you. <laughs> but I figured he'd go back to cinematography after you know bombs directing, and then, but nope. Just maybe he's just done. <laughs> he said he had a bad experience on that movie, but 
Yeah. Hey, but yeah, these people, I mean, Townsend, like, I hope he's happy with what he's doing. Like, I'd rather see him more public eye, but. Yeah. Like, literally, we were watching, I forgot the name of the documentary, but it was a docu-series on Netflix. Um, we found it, like, towards the top of the pandemic when I had okay. roommates in Chicago. I forgot the name of it. I keep wanting to say, when you see us, and that's not it. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> but it was, like, him and a bunch of other, like, Black filmmakers okay. from, like, the 90s and beyond mm-hmm. and so you got to like hear a little bit about like the history of black cinema okay and like how hard it was in every decade leading up to this one which is how i found out he had to like do hollywood shuffle on his own dime so like i i want to go back and revisit that because i've not seen yeah. that in decades either but like makes you know, it more he had impressive to- when you have context like that like i don't think in the streaming era uh, and just checklist watching of classic films and stuff that context of a film is while you should just pop a film in and enjoy it. But I think sometimes context is important. Like if you watch yeah. Hollywood Shuffle, and you're like, eh, I want nothing. But if you watch Hollywood Shuffle knowing it was made for like sticks and dimes because that's all he could buster, it then becomes a more impressive feat. Like people yeah. don't understand that. Like, but there's there's a damn the creator attitude that goes out there now and they want yeah. they want the mouse to control everything. <laughs> right? No, I I would kill for Robert Townsend to be able to make a movie with a natural budget because mm-hmm. I feel like especially knowing he'd made that one out of his own pocket. And this one probably as well. I haven't like done the research on that because I'm a bad guest, uh, but I know the budget was not for other right. movies of this genre in the nineties. Mm-hmm. I would love to see what he could do with a natural budget because he's done so right. much without money. I can't even imagine. He'd probably like, bring back money. I mean, like, I didn't use it all. Yeah. Right. He's like, I'm so used to making it for $200. Yeah. But that's where the um, best, I mean, we know Robert Townsend because when it comes to it, he's one of the best at, overcoming improvising making stuff work for five cents and there's i mean there are people like i james wan for example Mm -hmm. him and lee wanell both them coming from saw you know do aquaman but those guys are like some of the best at making ten dollars look like three million like that's where i like like where you're challenged and i always talk about how the reason i love watching slasher movies from the 80s is because Nobody gave them all the money they could make them with, but you find the real talent in mm-hmm. seeing who could do with that same money or less so much more. And that's yeah. and Towns is one of those people. Like, I don't know if I want to give him money. I like what I think. <laughs> yeah. I, of I course, yes, give him the money yes. he needs. Yes. But, you know, like, just like, I think he's amazing. He doesn't need it. Like, he's yeah. smart to, yeah. Yeah, no, like I just, I, I always wonder about that. So I've been doing this thing where I've been trying to find horror movies without racial trauma. Mm. And <laughs> it's been hard, let me tell you. And I finally have eight, so I might have to just stop and give up on trying to have 10 and just do those eight and just be done so I can give yeah. this article to the place I pitched it. But like, it's it's especially hard because a lot of those like horror movies are mostly horror comedies or nice. they're like from the 70s or so they're black exploitation. And like, it's just, I'm seeing how little funding black people get for things where they're not being abused. <laughs> and it's an ongoing yeah. theme because some of these are like fairly recent. And I'm like, you couldn't give her a couple more thousand for this, but whatever. Right. Um, and so it's just, it's an, an ongoing issue, which is part of the reason why like everybody's like on the edge of their seat waiting for Nia DaCosta's Candyman because we don't have black women directing films with budgets, no. let alone in horror. Right. Right. Like it's a unicorn. And so <laughs> and so we're all like, yes, please, yes. And I was happy that she's gonna be directing something. Captain Marvel sequel, actually. Um, the, the yeah. Marvels, right? Yes. That was a- 
that yeah, very, I've been waiting for that Candyman. Candy, the original Candyman is like one of my favorite. Like it was one of the scariest movies I ever fucking seen. I couldn't go in the bathroom at night for a long time. It gave me a weird relationship with Tony Todd because he's the Candyman, so clearly that's not right. But also, right. he's just this like really <laughs> he's like this like uncle looking figure, and yeah. so it's like. And you see him in other stuff, and you're like, I'm terrifying, Candyman, but also Tony Top. And so yeah. yeah, he should have been larger than life, and then he should have owned the '90s. I don't know how that didn't happen. That guy, so talented, so such leading man charisma, but yeah, who knows? He's still he's been consistently working, and I love that. So yeah, uh, he's got stuff coming out. Nice guy too. I've met him. He's a really cool yeah. guy. So yeah, there's. This I thought the special effects held up pretty well from the Blu-ray yeah. that I watched. I was like, okay, these worked. I mean, there's some that like, well, see the strings a little bit, but I thought other that like the, when he oh when he got hit by the meteor, gruesome. Yeah. I, that was ridiculously good. I yeah. I don't know. I need to actually look and see who did the special effects because it was a very nice blend of practicals, and we have a little bit of money to light this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was i and i love that i love that i feel like i feel like practicals hold up better than cgi because mm-hmm. when cgi ages out usually three months after it leaves theaters it's noticeable whereas practicals you're always a little bit like this is still cool like yeah because you can touch it like you know yeah. what it feels like yeah you know it took time to make that like that meteor was not half-assed someone sat there with a paper mache on paper mache and their light bulbs someone lost sleep trying to light it overnight trying to figure yeah yeah and so it means more and it Mm -hmm. just i don't know it holds up it's like it's like when someone's grandmother knits you a sweater as opposed Mm -hmm. to sweater you buy from tarjay which will be holy in a couple of days and shrink right right i think too the practical when you when you see them you're like how do they do that? And when you imagine how they do that, you see people working, doing all these things. And with CG, you're like, how they do that? How they do that? And you just see a guy at a computer like, <laughs> take out, uh, yeah, throw, yeah, Venmo me. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, the imagination of how it's made, like there's a lot of complex stuff that goes with CG. I'm not demeaning them, but it's just the, when we all, all drool over practical, it's because there's like this like physical labor that goes with it, yeah. fights, divorces for yeah. a movie, like, right? you know, they get this stuff taken care of. Some guy with a blood bucket, just like, oh, and <laughs> a, an actor having to go through hell to make an effect work. You know, it's. Yeah, I I will always advocate for a movie where, especially the 80 slasher genre, where it's just people with like bottles of ketchup just like losing their minds because oh, yeah. they're like, we can't even afford corn syrup. Here's my mom's ketchup. Let's get this done in two shots. Yay. Make sweet. it a little darker. You got barbecue sauce we can mix with it. Kind of oh, darken yeah. the red. <laughs> yeah. Beating the two in with a little bit of brown sugar. So are you making a barbecue sauce? No, right. I'm making blood. <laughs> this right. one, yeah. <laughs> um, right. We have a yeah. dip after we're done shooting. Right. Get some chips on Carolyn. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah this movie has an earnestness it's got a super like it can play as a straight movie it can play as a superhero movie it can play as a comedy like it and it never feels like it's jumping around through these or off balance like he's got perfect control over it i mean the the villains they're evil but they're some of the funniest things in this like their look the kids the slinky 
Those tiny babies with the golden hair. Every right. time I see them marching in or out, like little munchkins from Wizard of Oz, it's like, right. and they're like threatening and imposing. Yes. And I'm just like, this is so adorable. I <laughs> When they all come in with their lunchboxes full of money and I'm like, oh, you little cricks are adorable. I'm like, that's oh. not... <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh it's i mean it is so funny i oh, i really enjoyed this go i mean it was almost like watching again for the first time but you know because yeah. i i think i can't confidently say i did watch it back then but this i felt like i did and this would have been something i picked up as a kid easily and, and enjoyed sure. yeah the it's it's got all the ho- tropes of a secret identity superhero lore told but told in like a freshly grounded way yeah. uh, in its own like our places we go to are malls schools yes he like, still goes to work and yeah. like everything is normal in the daytime and he still has like those weird friendships that are trying to like bite him in the ass and i love that it has all those conversations we see with the other superheroes but it's mm-hmm. not so on the nose yeah because how often have we seen one of the like nine superheroes we always see have the it's not the costume it's the man in the costume conversations with their right. butler or right. their auntie <laughs> and you're like really we get it <laughs> but like instead of having that like heartfelt let's have this monologue robert down the walk outside and gets beat up and right. we're like it's not the costume it's the yeah. man he cares and he shows like, he doesn't tell he doesn't. And he, like, even like when he thinks it's about to be like murdered in the street, he, yeah. it, like there's real fear. And it's not like I have to do this for my community because this and this and this. It's just like, I did this. Um, <laughs> and you're for a minute, you're like, where's this movie going? <laughs> and then it inspires James Earl Jones to throw records, which we, they perfectly established at the beginning. Those records are his babies. Like he cares about them. And here he is sacrificing them to help out Robert Townsend. And I have to say, James Earl Jones with Kid and Play Hair needs to happen more often. I would love to see that. His character had an arc, because I mean, like, don't get me wrong, Jeff had one, but his did too, because you see him and he's trying on different hair pieces. Yeah. And he's like, not wanting to tell people what happened when he, even though he knows what happened, because he's one of those neighbors because in these communities that happens. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, he's like, oh no, we've turned our backs on Jeff and I've let this one woman go to the hospital and I didn't say anything. I have to take a stand. And yeah. so, like, seeing him have an actual arc, even as a supporting character, is right. not something we typically get. You're just like, James Earl Jones is here. That's all we needed. And it's like, no, give him more. Yeah. <laughs> and he does more with whatever he's given. Like, he's, you know, he's one of yeah. the finest actors we've ever had. But, and it's hard. Like, I think someone was saying the other day, like, has he been in a bad movie? Like, legitimately, like, as a role in a movie, like, not maybe, not a cameo, but. Physical, physical form. I won't, I won't, you know, that new Lion King, not the greatest, but I refuse to watch that. I don't, we didn't need to do that. We didn't need to. I love so much of that cast, but I don't need to see their voices coming out of like animated animals at me. I just not that way. I'm missing. Go watch the original because it's the same thing with a different style of animation and different voice actors because that's all it is. I I saw the trailer and I was like, this Simba is dead faced, but it's Donald Glover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) On paper, you're like, oh, but but, boom. Awesome. You guys did it. But uh, watching it, like I have children, so I get to sit through these things. And that that one was. Most of them have not been. Those have not been. I have issues with Disney, but I've not watched remakes specifically. But like a lot of the times I have to wonder why is there no one hired to be like, just because we can doesn't mean we should. 
That's what a lot of these companies need right now. Because and I'm your girl. Money talks. Because even though as bad as they are, they all make. I don't. People just go. And it's like, and a lot of people I think have the attraction now that they have kids and stuff. They're like, oh, it's this generation's version of my thing, and that's like a thing. Like kids aren't allowed to have their own. Yeah. stuff now like i i have noticed though with the younger people in the horror community horror community or whatever you call it, <laughs> people on twitter that talk to each other more about things than others but i have noticed and i like that they're kind of frustrated they're like cool another of the old people's things that's geared towards me like i'm yeah. like so i'm like okay so maybe we'll see a generation come up that's creating new things and going to see new things because they want new things their own I am, stuff i am so much more excited when something's brand new even if it fails that i mm-hmm. am to be like oh we're gonna go do this again yeah <laughs> like yeah. Ba- i mean back in my day the remakes reboot like they were done for things that didn't work the first time or maybe needed modernized or had a new way of telling it we're just yeah. doing the same thing like one, I, like I, I say once psycho got remade it was all off, and once Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a success, every you do it, everything again, and nothing's sacred. Like I knew when we rebooted Spider Man three times in that sort of a time span, it was too much. And don't get me wrong, like I am all about the adorable Andrew Garfield, and I love Tom Holland because Spider Man's yeah. finally age appropriate, <laughs> and Tom will look twelve for another ten years, so we can do all the things, right? <laughs> But like rebooting it three times, that's that's excessive. Right, right. It's just Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Like we didn't yeah. even get to forget or miss him. Like he no. was. And why? Like I was, I was talking about this, like why rebo- Like just recast. Like that, that, you're you're in theater. Yeah. They're parts. Yeah. They're parts. Yeah. Different people yeah. play parts. Yeah. Like also, I I'm especially pissed because Andrew Garfield left off with like a bit of a cliffhanger because. I mean, yeah. I don't want to ruin people who've not done that because a lot of people are behind in life. But also, like, that was a very dramatic moment. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, Spider-Man's about to lose his shit in the next one. And they were like, eh, reboot. And I was like, what? But again, Tom Holland is adorable. So, like, yeah. let us have an appropriate Spider-Man for once. But also, let's not reboot it again. Let's just yeah. keep Tom, maybe. And if he's done, same Peter Parker, new actor. Like, people yeah. can buy like, they're, they're too worried about facial continuity, which is not. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, like, uh, yeah, and I was, you know, I have these conversations all the time, but like, like Batwoman, I thought was going to be a chance where we could fix this, where they were like, and I don't, like, it, it sucks, it's like, they pour the new actress, poor girl, through into a bad situation, like, but I thought, oh, Ruby Rose just cast a new actor to play that same part. This could be huge. This could yeah. be huge. Don't kill her. Don't do, just... And they didn't. They're like, here's a new one. And and then they bring her back anyway with a new part. Like, it's... I. <laughs> For some reason, especially in American media, they yeah. are afraid of change. They're very yeah. stuck in those, like, 40s and 50s ideals. Right. And so, like, it's the reason Christian Bale had to have an American accent for mm-hmm. Batman. And I'm like... Right. His accent's the least of your problems. Like, <laughs> what you're doing to his voice, that's a problem. Because really, it was... Yeah. Right, right. I, I don't understand this need to always make things American, especially when it's not 
Yeah. I mean, well, some of these comments are written in the 30s. I get it. There was a war specifically, and people were like, we need to like be proud of who we are, even though America's got problems. Yeah. Um, but I feel like in the theory, we've moved beyond that. So like you can't be like we're this melting pot and we're being inclusive, but also this person must be cis head strong, straight white man, always. Right. Um, no accent even. And I was like, you can't even <laughs> Well, my, my favorite thing is I always say like people have like in life they preach and want like these like strongly liberal left-leaning mm-hmm. progressive values but when you get into their fandoms they're the most conservative freaking people ever what else this is where we talk about other things we may have taken in or watched read maybe something we wrote put out in the world so shrey what else Awesome. I, I, of course, have that production happening in October in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I am still getting details because that was a new announcement. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's for my play in the end. And it is a very personal play that I wrote a couple years ago. And so I'm happy that's what stuck with Onyx Festival. And they were like, we like this. And this should be this production because it'll be its first actual production. It's been read a lot. And it's been workshopped a lot, but it'll be nice to see it on stage. Um, yeah, I also have, I have a 10 minute in a festival in July for play zoomers. They don't have a website yet. So you have Mm -hmm. to sort of like keep sort of like checking out my website because when I get details, I'll have it. But a friend of mine, Dr. Teddy Rodriguez will be directing my 10 minute, um, Edmund Fitzwater doesn't have any answers for you, which is a weird little sci-fi piece that I love. Um, auditions need to happen for that like yesterday. (laughs) So so we'll have a lot more details very soon. (laughs) Gotcha. By the time this posts, they're probably already there. So yeah, it'll be like we cast it. It's good now. Um, <laughs> what a cast too, and right? what a cast. Yes. I'm obsessed with everybody. I couldn't have made a better choice if I wanted to. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, can't wait to see them in action. <laughs> All right, uh, myself. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. We're recording this. Well, like two weeks before this will drop, but should be now that I. Now I'm going to double up that word and drive myself nuts. I will be on a panel for the Here Now Festival, uh, which is taking place in June. Tw- this is taking place June 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern. It is called Off Mic, Developing and Producing for Geek Culture Podcasts. I will uh, be joined by Rachel Friend, who you may you will know from being on this show before of the Five Ish Fangirls podcast. And Brandon Wentz from the Crit Show podcast. Uh, we'll just be talking about, you know who he is. All right. Uh, we'll be talking about not so much making the show like mics and stuff. That We're going to talk about other things that come with podcasting that you might not think about, like other challenges on you as a person who has full reign and control of your podcast, shortcuts you may have, or, you know, just things you won't think about when making a show. And we really want to, uh, teach people about that how to handle it how you know and we'll have horror stories fun stories rewarding stories and q a so it's an hour long uh, if you go to the here now festival's website i'm sure you can purchase tickets to be able to be part of that event if you want it's virtual i will not be going to kansas city for it but uh please tune in or you know support me telling people about podcasts i guess so all right well that'll do it for today's charade I would say fun. I would say so much fun. 
but those are underselling the time I've had here talking about the Meteor Man and things I've cut from this episode because we went way off topic talking about Doctor Who. I know my listeners, I, I wonder if my listeners just like, God damn it, he's talking about Doctor Who again. The best topic though. Like, but it always comes up and I'm like, oh, I just I just magnetized other Who, Whovians. Is so it a like, prereq to be on the show that I passed? It might be. Am I, I give the questionnaire. Like, yeah. It's like name, age, what do you do? Do yes. you like Doctor Who? Yes. <laughs> Favorite story, Time Lash. Oh. Oh. Nope. Uh, Favorite companion, Clara? Nope. No, no. (laughs) Ever. So, yeah, we, uh, yeah, this is great. So before we sign off here, uh, let people know where they can keep up with you around the interweb socials. Take it away. Yeah. So, like, if you just want to check out my podcast, that's fair. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Nightmare Fierce, all one word. We also have a lovely Facebook if you'd like to do that. And that's our full title, A Nightmare on Fierce Street. If you want to keep up with me and my own personal shenanigans outside of that, I have a website, which is my first name, last name.com. And I will just let that be <laughs> the notes because my first name and my last name are confusing. <laughs> and so when you see it, you'll get it. And I also have a social media presence on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Sheree, M-I-S-S-S-H-A-R-A-I. So I'm super findable. <laughs> <laughs> Super findable. There we go. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. My written work is at whysoblue.com. There is more for the Brandon Peter Show this week. But until then, always remember to keep the positivity in your online film chatter. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peter Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. He just, uh, did he? Uzi, he just, uh, Mario, home please, now.